and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. The other leaders of this congregation, your staff and I, had some conversation about whether this time warranted a new message, a new sermon topic, and then as we talked about it, we came to the conclusion that listening in to the big ideas of our great story is exactly the thing that we might keep doing in this time to keep us together and to keep our hearts and minds and spirits focused on God. So we do continue what we have been doing, which is explore these big ideas in the Holy Scripture, and all month long we have been exploring the wonderfully big idea of God's mercy. We have said that God is merciful. This is who God is, and God's mercy does not depend on whether you and I have done anything to deserve it. God is merciful. And so today I want you to ask, I want to ask you to think about one way that God's mercy finds its way into our life, which is through the practice of forgiveness. Forgiveness like mercy is a gift that is given even though it is not deserved. I hurt you and when I do I deserve judgment and even punishment and yet you decide to forgive me. Because this forgiveness is not deserved, it rattles us, our sense of fairness and justice even. Like mercy, forgiveness can be shocking, but the free gift of forgiveness is essential to our human life. So as you think about the place of forgiveness in your own life, I'd like to read this morning one of the many stories that Jesus tells about forgiveness. This is from Luke's Gospel in the seventh chapter. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which 
of them will love him more. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. You know, you know that Jesus talks about forgiveness all of the time. As Jesus describes this thing called the kingdom of God, forgiveness is something like the kingdom's water supply. It's the thing without which there cannot be any life. Why? Why is forgiveness so essential? Well, for one, it's because you and I can't go half a day, even half an hour, without hurting each other. Now, you know that we are made by God as these immaculately relational beings. We need each other. We need each other desperately. We are designed by God to respond to every signal, every gesture, every word from one another. We covet one another's support and kindness, each other's touch and love. We are built by God to relate to each other, and yet we cannot help but hurt each other. We do it in so many ways. We do it by dismissing and ignoring each other. We misread and misjudge one another. We poke harmless fun that's not harmless at all. We take things from one another, objects and labor, but also dignity and confidence and safety, and we don't give them back. We use and abuse each other. We hurt each other every day. This means that our relationships with each other are always at least just a little bit off kilter. And when our relationships with each other are off kilter, the whole world is off kilter. When we don't stand with one another in freedom and interdependence and love, the world is off kilter. Our theological language says that we sin against one another in thought, word, and deed. Sometimes we sin trivially and sometimes we sin grievously. And all sin, all sin causes pain. 
Jesus is aware of all of this hurt, this sin. He knows the tension and the anger that grows in the petri dish of unacknowledged, unnamed, and unforgiven sin. Jesus knows that our world without forgiveness is untenable. Long ago, the poet Robert Frost wrote these words. He said, if one by one we counted people out, for the least sin, it wouldn't take us long to get so we had no one left to live with, for to be social is to be forgiving. You and I need forgiveness as a constant presence, setting our relationships right again. So Jesus talks about forgiveness all of the time, ad nauseum. How many times must I forgive? Peter asks, 70 times, seven times, Jesus says, all the time. Every day you must be forgiving. When the disciples asked Jesus how they should pray, how how should we set our hearts and minds and orient our life toward God's commonwealth, Jesus responds saying, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our... Our what? That's a good question. When we say that prayer every week at North Dakota Presbyterian Church, we've been saying, forgive us our sins. But, but can you really trust us? I mean, when we came not long after we arrived, Beth and I added mother to the opening line of our Lord's Prayer because we're sure that God is not a dude. You can't really trust us to translate any of this prayer. So what does Jesus say? The direct translation is not actually sin, but debts. Forgive us our debts. Forgive what we owe. Christians assume that this means that we owe as debt for our sins of hurting each other, right? It's forgive us for those sins, the punishment that we are due. But the literal meaning of Jesus' most famous prayer is that he calls for the forgiveness of financial debt as a sign of entry into God's kingdom. So which, which is it? What are we praying for when we pray this prayer? In the commonwealth of God, as it is described by Jesus and recorded in the New Testament, there is not a clear distinction or differentiation between forgiveness of financial debts and forgiveness of sins. They are virtually interchangeable. I have said to you time and time again that the kingdom of God that Jesus comes to inaugurate is life with God on earth as it is in heaven. And for us to live in harmony with God and with each other, what must be forgiven are both sins and debts. Our Bible does not differentiate between the well-being of our interior life, the well-being of our hearts and our minds, and the goodness of our relational life, the ethics of our laws, our contracts, and our economic dealings. God makes a covenant with God's people at Sinai, and this 
Covenant governs our interior and our exterior life. Jewish law, which Jesus came not to abolish but to fulfill, is clear that every part of life matters. Everything in God's world shimmers with holy potentiality. There is a divine order in all things, and and our calling is to bring our inner life, our our desires, our loves, our, our dreams, our will, in line with our outer actions, so that our whole life nourishes the lives of others and nourishes the created world. Now, one of the ways that the scriptures articulates this aim of inner and outer harmony is is through something that's called the sabbatic principle. The Sabbath, you know a little bit about this. You know that we are called to rest. Every, Every seventh day we are called to rest and celebrate the sufficiency of God's creation. On the Sabbath, we are relieved of all obligation, all debt. The sabbatic principle, though, also says that every seventh year all debts are to be Forgiven, so that members of our community who are indebted might be restored to life and to dignity. And then every seventh, seventh year, essentially every 50th year, it is a jubilee year, and all revenue-producing property that has been taken through predatory economics is to be returned to its original owners. It's a resetting of our economic relationships so that we might live again in harmony with each other, in right relationship. I think it's easy to see how deeply embedded is forgiveness in the sabbatic principle. When Jesus arrives in Nazareth, During the middle of the Roman Empire, he's born into a place and time where God's people are still saddled with debilitating debts. A tiny number of elite folks hold all the wealth which they squeeze from the rest of society, and the average person lives hand to mouth and often finds themselves hopelessly in debt. And so Jesus shows up that day at the synagogue in Nazareth to preach his first sermon to talk about why God has sent him to earth. And he says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor and release to the captives, to let the oppressed go free and to declare the jubilee year has arrived. Jesus announces debt forgiveness. Now, the good people of Nazareth chase him out of town because in Jesus' time, just like in ours, creditors get mean when debtors rebel. But everywhere he goes, Jesus keeps offering and promising forgiveness, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness for offenses, real and imagined Forgiveness from the judgment that said your disease was somehow your fault. Forgiveness for tax collectors, for the men caught up in the creditors' extortionist schemes. Forgiveness for women in sex work like the woman in this story. And Jesus forgives the financial debts of everyone caught up in the brutal and ungodly economics of predation and extortion by the rich of the poor. Jesus is a reckless and an offensive forgiver. So what does that mean for you? Well, I think our burden or our privilege, if you want to call it that, as followers of Jesus is to ask why 
forgiveness. Why must we let people off the hook like this? Shouldn't people be accountable? That's what our, our, our conscience tells us. If you live carelessly and selfishly like the grasshopper who fiddles away the summertime in Aesop's fable, shouldn't you suffer in the winter to teach you a lesson? If I hurt you willfully or even accidentally, shouldn't I be held responsible? In my own experience, forgiveness never ignores the offense. Forgiveness names the offense rightly. But forgiveness does release the person from some and sometimes all of the punishment they are due. Forgiveness does this for the sole purpose of restoring us to the harmony of right relationship, to the harmony of our created goodness. There's no part of forgiveness that comes easily, not forgiving debts and not forgiving sins. As we've said time and time again about mercy, forgiveness is offensive. And yet here we are, after all of these years, holding stories just like this one from Luke's gospel and so many others. And here in this story, Jesus sits at the table, not just across from Simon the Pharisee, but across the table from us. And in the very moment in our mind's eye, we judge someone else's sin and put ourselves above that person. Jesus, like he did to Simon the Pharisee, interrupts and says, My friend, I have something to tell you. What Jesus tells us time and time and time again is that God is merciful. God cannot help but be merciful. God forgives. Whether we deserve it or not, it is God's very nature. And what is it about you, Jesus asks us, that holds on to offenses for so long? What is it about the way that you have made the world, the way that you have structured and ordered things? What is it about the way that you have counted up the costs that makes holding on to someone else's debt more important than restoring your relationship with them? Jesus says again and again and again, you are living in God's realm now. Here in God's commonwealth, you do not need to ration your kindness. You do not need to ration your money. You do not need to ration your love. Here there is no scarcity of any of those things. Here there is only abundance. Abundance of kindness, abundance of generosity, an abundance of love. Here in God's realm, God is not in the business of counting people out. God counts people in. And God begins with you. So live in the commonwealth of God. Forgive others their debts. 
just as yours have been forgiven. Let the people say, Amen.